Opinions Only with your hosts, Justin and Kayla. And this week, if you followed us on Instagram, you know that we are all about the new TV that is out there right now. So many good things to watch. And a show that we have been obsessed with for the past couple months is what we will be recapping today. That's right. And you know... In a pandemic, and you're going to love this transition to what we're about to discuss, TV is thriving in a way that life, real life, is not. <laughs> and so when you lose yourself to TV, sometimes it hits a little close to home if the TV kind of resembles what's happening, uh, you know, in actual times, kind of like a pandemic. And yet we found a show that was about a pandemic and really... I mean, we made a whole episode about it, and that's Station Eleven on HBO Max, which has, of course, the setting of a pandemic like we're in, but the story, the characters, you get lost in them. It is fantastic, and I can't wait to talk about it. Such a well-done show. It does mirror a little bit of what we're going through in real life. It is important to note, though, it's based on you know, a book, and it mm -hmm. started production before we even encountered the pandemic. So it's not something that was just derived because of what we're going through in real life. Correct. Yeah, they actually had to stop filming pretty early on um, because of everything shutting down and then had to return to it, which I'm sure had some sort of influence on the show and writing just because it was, you know, so closely relating to actual life at the time. So it was very interesting, especially as an actor, probably to start and roll and pause for such a long time and come back. I mean, you're relating more to real times. Yeah, that's got to be just a real pain to be the showrunner for, director mm -hmm. for when you're putting together this TV show with all those obstacles, let alone all the kind of obstacles that are internal of the show on the time jumps, the different characters, the different kind of stages of life you're seeing them in. So, you know, it was very well done by them. And I'm impressed they were able to kind of keep it all together and tell such a cohesive story. Yes. And we're going to get into that. But first, let's do some facts on the novel that it's based on and the show itself. So Station Eleven is a novel by Emily St. John Mandel, and it takes place in the Great Lakes region before and after a swine flu pandemic known as the Georgia flu that has devastated the world ends up killing most of the population. The book was published in 2014 and won the Arthur C. Clarke Award, which just now I realize those two names are interesting uh, for an award. Arthur, oh, wow, yeah, yeah. Arthur C. Clarke Award um, that following year. And it was announced in 2019 that it was going to be adapted into a 10-episode miniseries by HBO Max. And the series premiered on December 16th, 2021. The finale actually just occurred this past Thursday. Um, Hiro Mirai was the director. He also directed Atlanta, some episodes of Atlanta and Barry, also an HBO show. Um, and Patrick Somerville serves as the writer and showrunner, uh, infamously did The Leftovers on HBO. Um, and I think a lot of Leftovers fans really liked this show just because, you know, showrunners tend to have the same themes that are crossover in that. Also did Made for Love, which I believe is a Netflix series. It stars Mackenzie Davis, one of our faves, as Kirsten, Himish Patel as Jeevan, Gael Garcia Bernal as Arthur and, da as Arthur, and David Wilmot as Clark. 
The series synopsis is 20 years after a flu pandemic resulted in the collapse of civilization, a group of survivors who make their living as traveling performers encounter a violent cult led by a man whose past is unknowingly linked to a member of the troop. Ooh. Ah. Ah. <laughs> uh, so there were some differences between the novel and TV show. One of them, and again, spoilers for Station Eleven because... There's going to be a lot. I'm going right into things from the get-go. So. Uh, spoilers for just the TV show or the novel as well? A couple. Yeah, I would say if you want to read the book at a later time or now, don't listen to this because <laughs> <Okay. laughs> I'm going to mention some things, how it, how it kind of differed without getting too much in the weeds. Um, one is Tyler, a uh, character in the show and book. He's a lot darker in the book. He is convinced that the pandemic happened for a reason and that those who survived are chosen by God. He and his mother leave the airport and assemble a following, and he is known as a prophet. But he runs this town as like a cult leader, taking child brides, and even asks one of the other characters, Alex, to marry him from the Traveling Symphony. He later gets killed by one of his cult members. This is a big jump from the series where I feel like they try to make him a more sympathetic character. Did that work? Did that not? We'll discuss, but definitely a big variation than how he was portrayed in the novel. Um, In the book, the traveling symphony ends up in the museum of civilization in search of two missing members. That's kind of how they get there in the show. They arrive by invitation to deliver a performance of Hamlet. So a different means of them kind of getting to the same location. And in the book, after Tyler dies and safety is restored, Kirsten reunites with her troop. The show obviously has a different ending, which I know we'll be getting into. One other note, I I just mm-hmm. listened to an interview with Patrick Somerville actually earlier today, and they also noted that in the book, Kirsten and Jeevan just have that interaction in the beginning where he Correct. walks her home, and they separate, and that's it. Yes. Yep. And he was actually, it was pretty interesting, they were talking about how do we make this kind of a better story to tell visually TV wise? We can't just have Jeevan by himself. He's like, and somebody just threw it out there. What if Kirsten goes to the uh, Frank's apartment with him? And then he was like, everybody just stopped and was like, well, that's kind of ridiculous. Wait, huh? Let's see how this plays out. And then they kind of just did a little charrette there, played the whole thing out. And they're like, Oh, this could be a really cool dynamic. And then that kind of forced them to tweak and change the rest of the show to kind of match that vibe instead of just straight up following the book, which I found was pretty interesting. Great point. And the relationship between Kirsten and Jeevan, I mean, is the heart of the show. And I think I I just really can't wait to get into it. So why waste our time here? Let's get into the show itself. You ready? Let's do it. Okay, so... In general, have you been watching any shows or movies that kind of have a pandemic background? Because I know for myself, I've actively not watched like illness films. (laughs) Like I've just turned off by it. I know at one point in the beginning, like there was this drive to watch like Contagion and all these movies. I watched Contagion towards the beginning. Yeah. No, not me. And so this was, I like made a conscious effort not to watch movies about this stuff because I'm just so over in real life. I haven't consciously decided not to watch them, but... I don't think I have, because right now you're kind of looking for things to watch that are fun, right? Mm -hmm. You know, one of my favorites, Bill Simmons, has been saying a lot recently, just his wife and him and his kids is like, they want to escape to a better place during this pandemic when they're watching TV. Like, let's let's go on a vacation through this this show, through this movie to escape Mm -hmm. kind of the harsh reality they're in. 
And that's definitely some some reason where people don't like to watch these shows in the current climate we're in. But we've been in this for two years. I thought it was about time. Like, let's get into it. Let's watch it. Let's kind of uh, be able to compare and contrast how we've been dealing with this pandemic to the opening stages of how it was represented in Station Eleven. So I'm all about it. Yeah, I think knowing who was in it definitely led me to click play. And I think HBO, honestly, has been dishing out some amazing shows. Fire. And so I that between those two things, I was like, you know what? I think this is going to be my first one in into the the shit, if you will. Like, <laughs> let's see how they handle it. Let's see. Let's see what this outcome ends up being. And I'm so, so glad that I did because it was an extraordinary show. So good. I, you know, maybe I saw a preview for it. I, I'm all over HBO Max. So anytime they put something new that kind of shows up as the new featured show, I'm going to at least watch the trailer for it because they've been so on point recently. And then I've heard on a couple other podcasts, oh, hey, this new show, Station Eleven, seems interesting. I fo- watched the first episode or two, and that kind of got me into it. And I do... I kind of have mixed feelings on them releasing it two to three episodes every week instead of doing kind of week by week method. Cause I don't know about you, but I wanted this to kind of drag out longer. You know, when you're watching it, it's like, I want to binge watch it. I want to keep watching. But now that it's over so quick, I wish we had a few more weeks to kind of speculate and talk about and look forward to the finale. For for that aspect, I do relate because uh, it now that it's over, it feels very like hung up. Like oh, especially knowing that this is a mini series and there's not going to be any more. It just feels like anymore yet. Anymore yet, yes. And so I, it kind of feels like oh, that that's the story. However, because there are so many shows that are returning back to the weekly kind of release, I appreciated having two episodes to watch on a Thursday. Like, I look forward to going, okay, this one episode, I have another after it. Like, and so I appreciate it, especially releasing two at a time that was just, yeah, thank you for that. It was something different than all these other shows that I am waiting like Sunday night to be on. And so I like that. Yeah, that that's fair. I think uh, I started the show like after it was already four episodes in because I think they re- released the first three together. Yeah, I think I texted you about it and said yeah. it was on your list. Yeah. yeah, and I was like, all right, I'll get to it. And then I caught up with those so quick that I'm like, okay, now I got two more. Like yeah. I just, I feel like I watched all the shows in a span of like three days, which isn't true, but it, it just went so quick because it was so kind of, I wouldn't say effortless to watch because the first episode I watched with my wife and Aaron, my sister-in-law, And she was, like you said earlier, not a fan. Mm -hmm. Aaron was like, I don't want to be in this space where it is this pandemic, which has me feeling a certain way about what I'm going through right now. I don't want to be in that mental state watching TV. I want to be happy and excited to watch something. So she did not continue watching. Oh, okay. But my wife and I pushed all the way through right after that. (laughs) Yep. Yeah, I... I guess it, it was an interesting format because at first the first episode was released solo and then it became two episodes a week all up until the finale, which was a solo episode to cap it off at 10 episodes. And I guess we want to get into some of the format aspect before we get into characters and plot. Okay. There were a lot of flashbacks in this series and I'm finding that there's quite a few shows lately that have had flashbacks as a way of storytelling. Now, for me personally, flashbacks can bother me. Mm-hmm. They tend to. 
in this particular series, I want to know, did you like the way that they did flashbacks to storytell, sometimes being present and then having entire episodes in the past? So I generally like flashbacks. Like, mm-hmm. that's kind of a mechanic that I'm a fan of. But I say that cautiously because they can screw up everything if they're done poorly. Like, if they don't properly kind of um, meld the flashback with the current times or reality or all the different timelines they're doing, it can ruin the watching experience. The way they did it in this show, I really enjoy because it was almost standalone episodes, right? It's, okay, we're 20 years into this pandemic. Okay, the next episode, we're in year one. Okay, maybe there's some flashbacks during a current episode of of an older time, but it wasn't, you know, unnecessary flashbacks to one specific thing that happened. Mm -hmm. It's okay. What I'm feeling in present day relates to the situation that I was going through 20 years ago, and this is why they are intertwined. I'm still going through those same struggles. I'm still trying to solve these same problems. So there was some cohesion between the flashbacks, which I thought they did kind of flawlessly for the show. What about you? I think I learned to like them, if that makes sense. (laughs) Um, You have a bit of it in the beginning, but I would say episode three, which is centered around Miranda. And I do want to talk about the Miranda of it all. And no, I'm not talking about the, and just like that, the Sex and the City uh, (laughs) sequel that's going on where Miranda's terrible. This Miranda, who of course writes the book Station Eleven, also the name of the show, that is this influential book that affects our main cast, our main um, group of people, Um, all the way from Kirsten using the book as a lifeline, an obsession, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, Tyler using it as a way to escape and create a new life, however shady, and even Jeevan's life was in danger for in pursuit of this book, like the book. It's almost a Bible. Yes, influences so much of the story. And so having an episode geared towards the author of it was interesting, but episode two ends on this cliffhanger of these children, child soldier, bomb, like cliffhanger explosion. And so you're like, who dies? Who didn't? Kirsten try? Did Kirsten die? I mean, it's like a dr- a dramatic cliffhanger. And then you have this flashback episode of this character that we've, seen in glimpses and I probably 35 <laughs> to 40 minutes of it was just miserable because I go, oh, I no. have to wait a whole week to get back to Kirsten and what happens. I couldn't like really get involved in her story because I was so, I found the other story more interesting now in hindsight and yeah, finishing, even just finishing that episode, I realized the value of Miranda was touched by these moments that she had. And some of the, I mean, the wine glass breaking at the dinner party. Great. I appreciate it more, but it was so jarring to be jumped from this like exciting explosion. What's happening to this slow breakdown of a relationship of, of characters and resentment and feelings. Like it was jarring to me because I, all I cared about was getting back to what the hell happened in that last episode. Yeah, I hear you. They The way they did that was a little uh, peculiar. I ended up liking it because they did that later in the uh, season two where they have the big, ex- big explosion at the Museum of Civilization. And then the next episode is Jeevan uh, back 
basically getting mauled by a wolf and going to a maternity <laughs> ward. Right. So they wolves just wolves are really having its moment this week. Can I just say <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they just like cut you cold turkey, like, okay, yeah, we'll get back to that in a couple episodes. But right now we need to tell you something else about this story where you're not even going to get a hint of what you kind of left the cliffhanger on on the previous episode. We're taking you into an entirely different timeline. So at first I was a little concerned about it, but I think the way they played it off, it, it was a really well done job because that way it's not just cliffhanger next episode. Here's the result cliffhanger next result. It's cliffhanger. Okay. We have a side story we, we want to tell you about. We'll bring you back to the main story when it's appropriate. Yes. And we've rounded out these other characters the way we wanted to. Yes. And I had read an interview with, uh, Patrick Somerville, and he had said the first thing he asked when it comes to flashbacks and in, in his writing is, "Does does this show need it?" And if the answer is no, don't do it. Yeah. But for him, the answer was yes. And after a couple episodes, the value of waiting because you know at the beginning that Kirsten doesn't always end up with Jeeva, and they separate, whether that's through death or violence or or anything. You know that she doesn't they separate from each other for whatever length of time ends up being 20 years. But, um, but you don't know how you, you see his brother Frank and they're all together, but what happens to Frank? And so suddenly I became excited and like, is this the episode where I find out what happens to Jeevan? What happens to Frank? Like, because it would weave these little moments where you knew something happened, something bad happened. And so I did start to have that, like, Yes, I can't wait for like the flashback. Yeah, because it, it keeps your anticipation no matter what timeline you're in, right? So you're not just waiting on the payoff of the explosion, but when you go back, you're like, oh, is this going to be where they separate? Is this going to be where somebody dies and we don't know about it since we haven't seen them? So they did a great job of kind of keeping the anxiety up in all the different timelines, basically. Yes, 100%. Now, we've mentioned a couple of characters already, but I want to know what characters did you love? And what characters did you hate, if any? Miranda Carroll is by far my favorite character. Whoa. Miranda, the inventor of Station Eleven. She's a G. Big tragedy when she was younger. Her whole family died on her, like, in one fell swoop. She meets Arthur kind of just at a bar randomly. They get... Do they actually get married or just engaged? I think they get married, they get married in married, divorce. Yeah. And she's kind of living with him, and then she's doing this book on the side... But she doesn't take shit from anybody. Mm-hmm. So my favorite scene probably of the whole show, maybe besides... But when... we're going to get into scenes. Okay, I won't reveal my favorite scene yet then. But Miranda, I wish there was more Miranda in the show. I understand the way they set it up, how they incorporated her, and it made sense. But after her episode, episode three, I believe mm-hmm. it was, I was like, I want to know more about this character. What's she doing? She's a complete badass. She's not afraid of anybody, and she knows exactly what she needs to do in every situation. So Miranda's probably my favorite character. Wow. Okay. What, what about, about what about least favorite? Least favorite? Probably if you had Alex. Any. Alex. Probably okay. Alex, who is basically the teenage version of Kirsten, right? Kirsten is a big sister kind of parent figure to Alex, but she's getting frustrated because Alex is kind of acting how she was at that age and she doesn't know how to handle it. It's almost kind of like, uh, you know, looking in a time capsule of her when she was with Jeevan to an extent. So Mm -hmm. she's just like, why aren't you freaking listening to me when I'm telling you this stuff? Oh, because I didn't listen to people when they were telling me stuff when I was your age either. So... Alex, uh, I got a little annoyed with her. I didn't quite 
buy the entire uh, kind of reasoning behind her wanting to go off with the prophet and the younger kids. Like, I think I needed a little bit more explanation from her character on why she was making those choices. So I, I would have to say my favorite character or like one I most was, was probably Kirsten. Jeevan is close because I just love the, the true dynamic they had, which isn't like this hero guy who realizes like, Oh, I ended up saving this little girl. I don't know. And we just learned to love each other. Like it was hard from when they met the first day and it was hard to the day that they separated from each other. And I liked seeing that evolution. Um, I dislike Tyler was rough. Tyler was rough and Alex. And the thing I'll say about Alex to what you said is, is what I agree. I mean, Alex is, they separate people before this pandemic as pre pans. Um, so people who actually experienced life before the pandemic and then post pans, which are the babies born afterwards who didn't know kind of life before then. And Alex is the only one who is a post-pan. So she's the youngest one in this troupe. So she's kind of looking at, like, she's a different life than all these people who, as Tyler often mentions, carries the before, right? All these people have a trauma of what happened to them pre-pandemic, even though Kirsten was eight at the time. She's 28, you know, later in the series. Alex doesn't relate to a lot of these adults in her life. She's, She's kind of stuck in her youth she because she doesn't have anyone kind of to relate to she wants a leading role and kirsten kind of shadows her a lot in the you know they're in this acting troupe performing on the wheel right in different locations every year and she's stuck she's stuck at this character and i could see how someone like tyler brings this like no bring all the children together like you're important like you're special draws her in yeah draws her in the the first go round but after somebody gets brutally murdered, maybe change your mind a little bit, right? This, and when we get into plot, I'll, I'll go more into this, but I just, to your point, I don't see any, like, when she leaves at the end, right, and Kirsten has this arc of finally being able to say goodbyes, right? She has these many quick goodbyes and see you laters. Alex like trots off to Tyler and this, these children, these lost children. And if you're supposed to get some sort of like, Alex is finding her purpose, Alex is finding her way. No, because at no point, even though the show perhaps is trying to make you feel sympathy for Tyler, he still, he still took children that weren't his, like they're stolen children. Like he still like created this fantasy that's not real like he's not a good guy in my opinion even with the changes that the show made and so i don't see like he's like this broken person so got this comic book and like is stuck like i don't see good things going for her so i have a question for you i'm not sure if you picked up on this while you were watching but when the dr chaudry episode where jeevan basically pretends he's a doctor because he's not really a doctor they have to cut off his foot, and he stays there and helps uh, the doctors give birth to, what was it, like 9, 10, 12 babies? Well, help like a ton of women give yeah, birth to like, have, yeah. Help a ton of women give birth. There is a woman there, Rose, who dies during mm-hmm. child labor. There is a guy who comes in, Dave, who sees Rose after she's died and is like, where's the child? 
and they're like, oh, if you take the child, she's probably going to die. That was Tyler. That no. was, yes, it was. Oh. He, the guy that showed up at the, um, you know, the maternity war, basically. And that was Alex. Alex was the baby. The baby, yes, yes, yeah, yes. So Tyler is Alex's potential father, or or he was the, somebody who developed a relationship yes, with Rose while she yes, was pregnant. Yes. So I don't know if there's kind of unsaid stuff where he knows who she is. I highly doubt it. Like, how would he? And there's no way she would know I don't is. think so. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. But I just thought that was kind of a weird dynamic. Once I put together from listening to multiple other podcasts that Alex was the baby yes. that was born there. Yes. I did catch that. And that actually leads me to my next discussion topic is the, how do we think of the plot as a whole? And the, the Alex of it all, right. Where we meet Alex, um, maybe 20, I want to say maybe it's 20 years past. So she could be 20. It, dates uh, are like, weird. I'd say like 18 because I think that was, um, you had uh, Kirsten and Jeevan were out on their own for a while, like a year or two, I think, before they got separated. So she's 18, 19. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Definitely like emotionally younger, you yeah. know, where Kirsten's very protective of her. And I, all that to say is that the show in which I loved is humanity is the main plot point. And so the pandemic, the what does the world look like after this pandemic apocalypse, like, is almost background. How did other countries handle it? We don't care about that. Like, how how the world in other parts are working, they don't care. It's How did this flu happen? Yes. Yeah, they don't care. It's these characters. It's it's The characters are the thing that matters. And there's so many circles, like, there's so many ways that everyone's connected and it's all about separating coming together right you have so many characters that are tied to each other you know kirsten has this relationship with arthur who she looks at as a mentor and, and is significant in her adult life as well yep. even though he died at the start of the pandemic who's also related to tyler who's his dad i mean and then alex who she kind of becomes a mother figure and kind of takes on that responsibility after what happened with her and jeevan they're all tied together, right? Jeevan is with her at the beginning and 20 years later, they connect again at the end. Like there's something beautiful about separating or losing people and coming and having the chance to come back together. Now that was a conscious choice of the writers because that didn't happen in the book. And so they wanted to bring yeah. people back together. And they kept referencing the line from the actual comic station 11, right? I found you eight times before I'll find you a mm -hmm. ninth. Like, I will find you again because I am you. And that got referenced so many times. And it does have those connection points, those parallels with Jeevan and Kirsten and Kirsten and Alex and Tyler and his mother and Clark and Elizabeth and Clark and Moran. Like everybody is intertwined in their own way. And the show did kind of make this choice. Like you said, it's going to follow this group of characters near Lake Michigan. Yes. We don't care about anything else that's happening in the world. It's this random group of people. And, you know, art is important in a pandemic. Yes. Like, civilization has died, right? 99% of the population is dead. But it is still important to have the arts have something that people can, you know, aspire hope to and escape their current situations. And, you know, a lot of shows might neglect that, right? It's it's a pandemic. How do we rebuild? Part of rebuilding is having that connection 
to the past and having that hope for the future of art and being able to just escape yourself and sit down and enjoy something for yes. once, which yes. is you know one of the main thematic points of the show, right? Absolutely. I mean, one of the quotes right on the side of this acting troops, you know, wagons are survival is inefficient, right? Yep. And that is kind of the heart of the show, that it's not enough just for them to find food every day and that they've made it, you know, Kirsten made it 20 years. It's about how does this thing that she loved as a girl, like I love the conversation she has with Jeevan because Kirsten's so self-assured at the beginning at eight years old, what she wants to do. She wants yep. to act. Um, you know, Arthur is her inspiration. Like she knows what she wants in comparison to Jeevan, who's an adult and is lost at the start of what he's doing with his life. And so I think it's just interesting that, you know, Shakespeare, of course, right, survives, <laughs> survives the, even the pandemic. You know, they're still performing his his plays and, you know, from King Lear at the start to Hamlet at the end. And it, it creates revolutionary emotional arcs with the characters. Yep. Um, I mean, t uh, Tyler's able to work through his entire trauma with Clark and his mother, Elizabeth, through Hamlet, because he can say the things that he couldn't say as a kid when he left. And so I think it's just, it's interesting to see life happen, I guess, in a premise that is about rebuilding the earth after death. Yeah, which is the difference from, you know, your your zombie type you're shows. Walking like dead. You're walking dead. Like, okay, it's survive in advance, basically. And here it's, no, don't survive, live. Like, find something to live for. Find something to look forward to. That being said, 20 years, that's enough time to build some type of civilization. Like, start building it up. It It doesn't seem like many of these areas have done much more than okay, we found a big safe building. We're going to have a group of people hang out here. And that's about it. Like, it doesn't seem like they've started to utilize the resources they have. I mean, they got to have access to libraries and books and be able to access cars and equipment and learn and start to kind of rebuild society on like more of a macro level instead of kind of just all hanging out in these clusters. But maybe I'm, you know thinking 20 years is a lot longer than it actually is. Right. Who knows? Like how long until people felt comfortable going out of their house and walking around without catching this flu? We don't know any of that. And maybe that's intentional so that we're always wondering. Well, I think the airport's a great example of what you're talking about in that even to the star where Elizabeth is like, let them out. Like we can leave the airport. You know, Clark is so hesitant. He's lost in this museum of old technology that doesn't work anymore. <laughs> He's effectively trapped in the past. Like he wants to preserve these items from before the pandemic. And when he's in a classroom, right, of these kids, they look at him like a dinosaur. Like, I don't care about these things. I don't know what you know, a train is, I don't know what these things are. They're, they're disinterested. And so does it become, you know, is Clark right? Should we be looking at these things before the pandemic? And this was a VHS, this was, you know, X, Y, Z, or are the kids right? Like in the heart of there's things, no does before. that matter? Like there's no before. Should we just like, we don't care, but that's not our life, you know? And Tyler, you know, AKA the prophet, I guess, uh, he keeps saying there's no before, there's no before. But really, his entire existence is based on how he feels about the before. Like, he has created kind of this cult, this separate, you know, uh, almost uh, like religion, 
right, mm-hmm. of him and all these youngins that he can kind of, I, I don't mean like in the show anyway, manipulate in a negative way, but people that are looking up to him as an escape. And he is kind of still mentally stuck to back when he was a kid stuck in the airport and what he saw. So he's trying to push out the past, push out the before, and look forward to the future. But all of his actions are trying to get back to the past and correct it or get revenge. So he is kind of stuck in this limbo of... If my therapist were here, she'd be like, yep, (laughs) yep. You know, exactly. Like Tyler, his before, when he kind of berates Kirsten at the beginning of the series, like you're stuck in the before, right? You're lost. You're different. You're stuck in it. And he's stuck in it, but he, his before was terrible, right? He had a father that wasn't involved in his life. His mother was very superficial. He has this, this guy, Clark, who was a friend of his father that, you know, does all these terrible stuff, talks bad about him. I mean, they in fear someone that survives, you know, they're afraid that they're going to get him sick and they kill him. Like he witnesses all his trauma. His before was terrible. Yeah, true. He wasn't happy. Like, you know, even before everything happened. And so he wants to create a new life, a new after and inspire that in kids because he was treated so poorly, you know, before. But is that a better way? I mean, even to the point where at the end, you know, all these kids are kind of disillusioned a bit with this comic book theory, right? That, Tyler kind of tells them. Because he doesn't have a physical copy anymore because he burned his own. So he's gone. I I don't know if he explicitly said when he burned it, but it sounded like not too long after he kind of left the airport and faked his own death. But he is now, he studied it. He Mm -hmm. memorized it kind of like Kirsten did, but she still has a copy. He is reciting all this stuff from memory on what this kind of basically sacred text was telling him. And he is, maybe he's modifying it to suit his needs in order to tell to these younger children so they keep following him. Maybe he's being truthful to what he actually remembers. But there is some kind of ambiguity there on, does he really remember exactly what was in this book? Or is he using what he can to get the best out of the people around him? Yeah, I think he, it's a power play. You know, Mm -hmm. he, I'm sure he feels powerful having these large group of children listen to everything that he has to say and believe in him so much. That was not the case before he left, before he faked his own death, as you said. Yeah. And so these kids just don't know any better. And even to the point that they do, you know, Cody, who's one of the older boys in his like group of children, um, you know, realizes like this probably what Tyler says isn't true, but he says like, the kids like it when you pretend that it is like, even though he's starting to realize as he comes into adulthood, Oh, this probably isn't real. It's still better for him. You know, it matters to him that he believes and that the other kids believe. And even at the end, when Kirsten reads a book to one of the kids at the end, it kind of says like what he says is from a book. It's not from him. And she steals it. Right. And Kirsten has a kind of half, half-assed, you know, grab for it before she realizes she doesn't need it, you know, which mirrors the time that she lost baby Alex as a young kid yep. and and realized this book that meant so much to her, like she wasn't willing to put that book above Alex because she needed help take care of her. And that also goes to the time where Jeevan thought he was yes. uh, threatened for his life and he's like, shoot her, shoot her, shoot her. And she was so stuck in the book, mm-hmm. she wasn't looking out for him. And she's had so many times where she's kind of ignored 
the needs of other people to because she's so entranced by Station Eleven that she's felt like she's hurt people she's yes. cared about or loved. So her kind of letting that comic go to I don't remember the girl's name that took it, but that's kind of like her letting go of all of her issues in the past to an extent, right? She was never able to say goodbye to Frank or Jeevan or her parents or anything until this last episode. And she gets to say goodbye to Sarah, Mm -hmm. which is big. She gets to say goodbye, even though it's quick to Alex, Yep. to Jeevan and to the comic book, to station 11. She, she lets it go. Doesn't chase down and brutally murder the girl, which is another option. She could have did. That (laughs) is true. You know, there's growth there. And I think, you know, the book meant so much to her and it also, is what separated was an element of separation for her and Jeevan, you know, her next significant relationship outside of Arthur and her parents. And so of course, when it once again comes between her and getting someone hurt for all she knows, it's like, I'm done. I have to put this away. And that is a great transition into scenes that I want to talk about because you mentioned the scene between Kirsten and Jeevan, right, where they have this fight. You know, Kirsten's a good shot, so she's kind of supposed to be watching with this rifle um, as Jeevan kind of gets items from a house. I felt so bad for Jeevan. And he ends up getting attacked um, because Kirsten was reading the book. She wasn't paying attention, and he makes it out, but he's mad at her. And what I thought was so beautiful about that is that they both have these expectations for each other that just can't be right. Jeevan wants Kirsten to be an adult and she's not, she's a kid. He has these expectations of we're surviving now and you're, you have to be an adult and you have to know that you have to do these things, but she's an eight year old girl. Like she's not gonna, you know, she's a kid and he has these expectations of adulthood that is unfair and that she can't meet. And in the same side, Kirsten is with someone that they were strangers not too long yep. ago. And so it's like, he's, he has this pressure of taking care of her and this this responsibility to put where his brother, you know, loses his life when defending their place. And also, like, I, you need to take care of Kirsten because she can't survive without you. And I don't want you have to worry about me. And the dynamic is a, a little complicated because Kirsten has the skills to survive. Yeah. Like, early on, she's good with the knife. She's good with the gun. She's good kind of foraging for food, right? She... She can survive out there in the wild. And Jeevan almost needs her to an extent as much as she needs him. Like, she obviously needs him, but she is doing a lot of this. She's hunting. She's bringing stuff back. And together, they were a good team because they are kind of, you know, yin and yang, right? They're opposites in a certain way. And when he gets frustrated with her and basically throws a temper tantrum and throws her book into the woods, it's like, dude... What the fuck, man? And she gets pissed. And I'm like, yeah, I'd be pissed too. But it's an eight-year-old girl. Like, But it's the only person at that point he's been communicating with for, I think it was nine months or so at that point. Yeah, they had met. They have at least seen other people and had some interactions. But it's been him and Kirsten since the beginning. And yeah. so it's a, it's a burden. And it's human to say that meeting Kirsten... And ha- and feeling this compulsion, like I have to take care of her, is is a burden. I think it's honest for him. He feels that way. He doesn't want to say that to her, but he's in his actions. He's feeling it. And I I call to mind the the two moments: one when Frank and Jeevan 
are talking um, in Hindi, and she he's like, you know, she's realizing her parents are dead, right? Yeah. And Jeevan's like, I'm realizing, Frank, that my sister's dead, right? Their sister's dead. And the girlfriend, like, as in, I'm going through it too. Like, it's not just her. And Frank tells her, we're adults. We pretend we're not scared, right? And that's great, right? You're the tough parent. You're the one that lets, you know, but that doesn't end up happening, you know? And even when Kirsten is then relating it to Alex, right? Where she's like, what did the prophet say to you? And Alex is like, what do you care? And she's like, I care because if something happens to you, it's my fault. And that is Jeevan's whole premise is like, I wish I could just leave you. I wish I could just leave you and and freak out. Or not even like, I didn't take it as I I wish I could just leave you, but it's, I wish I could make a decision for myself that I don't have to worry about the consequences and how they affect you. Yes. Like I want to do something alone over here, go out, check something out and not worry that you're not going to make it because I am responsible for you at this point. And then he even has that, I think it's that dialogue with himself when he's seeing his brother, like ghost of his brother, calling him leave and Jeevan. Like, mm-hmm. oh, you can't ever stick to something. You always got to leave. You always leave when it gets tough. And with Kirsten, he had so many opportunities and he didn't. He kept coming back for her at the beginning. Hey, after they got the groceries, you know, she's tr- waiting to hear back from her parents and she walks away and then he goes, no, your parents texted me. They want you to go with me. Like, and then he just keeps kind of coming back for her and showing up for her. And then he gets kind of frustrated with it because he's like, I'm doing all this. I'm putting so much of my life to help you out. And I can't even have a conversation with you or you don't even want to watch a movie with me. Like, I felt so bad when he's like, you just want to watch a movie? And she's like, yeah, sure. And then she's just reading her book. Yes. Yeah. Which is her her needing to cling to something that was her past, right? This book that tied her to Arthur. Yep. Um. I want to talk about a couple more scenes before we kind of get towards the the end of this because there are so many important scenes. Let's talk about the Jeevan and Kirsten reunion. That was such a great scene, so beautifully shot. At first, I I wanted dialogue. I was like, I need to hear them. Jeevan be like, I didn't leave you. I got attacked. Like all this stuff, like explanation. And then as it went on with no dialogue, where they just kind of had a slow hug embrace of each other that made it so much more powerful just no words needed to be spoken he realized she was safe she realized he was safe and didn't abandon her and that is something that's always been sitting in the back of both of their minds and it was just like i almost started tearing up at that scene you already know that i did Mm -hmm. and that i watched it 10 more times after that you know that my acting uh the thing that gets me, my favorite thing, essentially, is when people act emotions without speaking. Hence, my favorite scene in Love Actually, hence yeah. Portrait of a Lady on Fire for about majority of the movie. 95% of the movie, yeah. I love it because I'm, I'm attracted to people that just like can show that emotion without words. And that scene where she, she of course, it's easier for her to recognize him, right? Because she saw him as an adult and he saw her as a little girl. Yep. And so you see her realize it first. He's realizing it. They get closer. And I had read something about the actor who plays Jeevan, and he said he he believes his character had to put Kirsten out of mind. Like, he had to just believe that she was okay, that she had enough to survive because he couldn't 
you know, sit and reflect on that. Like, he just had to kind of know. Well, and she did leave the compass for him. Yes. So at least letting him know, I left voluntarily. Right, right. You know? And I think the, you know, she, what was interesting about her arc is that she wasn't on the hunt for Jeevan this whole time, right? We didn't see her 20 years later. And she's like, where's Jeevan? She did check on the cabin. Yes. Like, she, she made it a point that every time she went back to that spot, she would check on the cabin right. to see if anybody has been there. You get you get the sense it's an old hurt, right? Like, when Alex reminds her, like, I know the woods make you think of Jeevan. Yeah. Like, it's an old hurt, and I think that's also interesting to show, like, 20 years later, Kirsten is still grieving Jeevan. Like, yeah. she's still... Because that is a true, you know, grief and, and missing someone, like... A year, 10 years, 20 years, it does feel the same. Like, you can get right back to, like, it just happened. So did you think he was going to be at the airport? I called it the episode before, not to brag, when he was like, oh, I have to go make a house visit or something. And I was like, oh, he's 100% going to see Sarah, is what I thought, not, uh, not Clark. And then he shows up to the airport, and they have so many of these just misses. Yes, and I'm like, are painful. they going to leave us on a just miss? I was like, he's still got to be there. He's going to stay there for the play, right? But they specifically don't show you him during the play. No, so. no. If I, even the singing, like, if I had seen that, like, episode four, I would have thought maybe not, just of how brutal some of these moments in the yeah. show has been. But because I kind of had seen the writing on the wall as far as, like, Okay, they're kind of closing this. They're kind of buttoning this up for us, which is what we needed. I needed yeah. as an audience. <laughs> like, yeah, I needed that. Yeah, you know, 100%. five years ago they didn't end up seeing each other. Okay, that's reality. But I absolutely needed them to me. And so these little tidbits, I go probably close to when they met. I go if Jeevan. I started yelling at the TV. I go <laughs> if Jeevan. If they never speak, I'm gonna be devastated. And that moment was. The best moment to me of like the series, like it was so, it was just beautiful. The music, the like slowing down, like you're okay, I'm okay. It was beautiful. That was, I think, uh, without saying like the best scene of the whole show. I will say my second favorite mm -hmm. scene, as I noted before, is Miranda at dinner with Arthur, yes. where she recites his shitty dialogue from his shitty movie. And then dumps the wine upside down, yes. walks out, and then eventually burns down her entire studio. <laughs> yeah. Like, I was like, bad ass. And it just mentions that, like, I burned it down. Bye. And he was like, yeah, okay. And then he walks out. He's like, oh, shit. She actually did. Yes. And I, I'll give a shout out, too, to the scene where Kirsten's poisoned and kind of having these intense flashbacks. And so it's kind of adult Kristen looking and spending time with young Kristen, which was great because the two actresses were amazing. The young girl like, she was, was so, so good. good. So good. So good. And the scene where she's, you know, she's watching herself, uh, little Kirsten singing. First, it was Christmas, right? And her parents, she just, found, she just found out her parents died. And yep. she's singing First Noel. And adult Kirsten is crying because she's crying about herself as a little girl having to lose her childhood. And she, you know, little Kirsten felt compelled to make the adults okay in the room. Yeah. She kind of had to put aside her pain and make them feel okay. And adult Kirsten just silently crying that, like, she had to do that, that she couldn't just be devastated about her parents. Like, she kind of had to, you yep. know, and that was just, it was beautiful. I mean, Mackenzie Davis. Mackenzie Davis did do well. 
She did have, uh, it was kind of similar to uh, Cameron from Halt and Catch Fire. Towards the end, she, it kind of uh, separated a little bit for me. So I thought she did a great job. I thought you might say that. And I wanted to say a theory I have is that it's not a Cameron complex. It's a Mackenzie Davis complex. And what I'll say is Kirsten Stewart, Kristen Stewart, <laughs> she, I, I got too many Kirstens in my head. When she's in a movie, like she's playing Spencer, she, you know, she's playing, she's, yeah, she's different roles, but you still see her, how she talks, right? How she walks, how there's something inherently Kristen Stewart about her. I feel like Mackenzie Davis has, she's a physical actress. Yes. Like, and her, so her expressions, yeah. her tone is the same. Like, now she is playing these roles where she's like this know-it-all or thinks she knows best or like a strong personality, which is similar across a few things she's been in. But I feel like those are like her. Like we're seeing Mackenzie Davis in multiple things. So I actually, I was watching, you know, I think bits of The Martian recently. Mm -hmm. And she's somebody that's in the control room in The Martian. Mm -hmm. And she's playing a different char like character there. Yeah. She's kind of like a fun, loving, like, oh, I figured this out. Oh, we got to go here. And that did not remind me of Cameron mm, at all. But okay. I think it's these, like, these strong characters that are, I know what's best. I'm not listening to anybody. I'm hoping, like, I want to see her after she did so great in Halt and Catch Fire and Phenomenal in Station Eleven. I want to see the range expand. I want to see something different for her in the next, uh, you know, couple of years. Yeah, maybe. even Happy Season, which, funny enough, also starred Kristen Stewart, Stewart and her. Um <laughs> Similar, like just this yeah. kind of hard, like. What about um, Jeevan? So Jeevan, this whole show, he he's kind of anxious, right? The beginning, mm -hmm. he he's nervous. He doesn't know what to do. His sister, Sia, who's a doctor, calls him. Hey, go see your brother, Frank, who's this writer with a limp because he had some tragic accident when he was, you know, reporting on something overseas somewhere. And he's kind of like the outcast child, right? The one who hasn't lived up to what he's supposed to. But by the end of the show, he is basically an amalgamation of his siblings. He is a doctor now mm -hmm. with a limp because he lost a foot yeah. in a tragic accident. He is... Oh, that's true. I didn't think about that. Yeah, he has like turned into his brother <laughs> yeah. and his sister, oh. the people he's kind of looked up to his whole life. And now he's stayed put and has a family. And it's just... Like you said earlier, the full range circle that he went too. through, full circle, he just matured as a person. He got to where he needed to be. He's helping people. He's happy. He's got a family. And he closed kind of that outstanding loop with Kirsten. Yeah, wondering I mean, he if she named okay. his daughter Kirsten like that. Oh, I completely was, missed yeah, that. Yeah, did, yeah, that was obviously a significant relationship in his life. And to go off the full circle, I mean, he's not just a blend of his parents but in the beginning of the series he pretends right a couple times one he goes to arthur who's dying on stage and they all think he's a doctor and he just felt you know oh, sister's yeah, a yeah. doctor and he has this no no i just he wanted to help right he thought he could do something then he pretends he's a doctor and almost and get does end up getting kidnapped because of it because of his lie saying he's a family yeah. doctor and then he lies again he tells her like listen i'm not who you think i am and she goes okay well you Whatever. can be just be here. Just And he becomes what he, you know, got him in trouble or what he couldn't kind of meet up to. And I just thought, again, full circle, like, he becomes what he kept saying, I'm not. 
Yeah, I just, he really had a full-on arc, and I love kind of how they closed the loop with him. And, you know, Miranda, too, when she pops back up in that season finale, yeah, Miranda wrote the book. She's basically the author of the Bible, right, in this kind mm-hmm. of, for this group of people in this area. She also saved everybody in that uh, airport's lives and probably hundreds or thousands of more lives by using her massive logistics brain and connections <laughs> and just calling the pilot on his cell phone, hey, you have to lock the doors. Yep. Right? And he's like, well, no, I have to go see my wife. And it was just such kind of a heart-wrenching scene for that because she goes, okay, my whole family died from Hurricane Hugo. And he goes, oh, I was named after that hurricane. And she's like, yeah. So yes. I need to, like, this is how I need to go out. I need to help the people I care about the best I can, you can't let them off the plane. They're going to infect everybody. Yes. And he's just like, I can't hold people against their will. It's not fair. And, you know, it's just not fair to them. And she just goes, it's not. Like, nothing's fair here. Yeah. And, like, just leaves it at that Mm -hmm. and is basically like, hopefully he listens to me and starts bawling because she's like, I can't believe I'm asking somebody basically to... Tell everybody on board, you are going to die here. You are not going to be able to see your loved ones again. I can't let you out because there's a bigger purpose here that we all need to kind of contribute towards. And just tying that kind of through line was magnificent to me because I I was like, I hope we see a Miranda again, see what happened. But at no point did I make the connection oh, hey, she's going to call the pilot and keep that plane right. out there, you know? I was the like, selflessness. I mean, I think shows like this make you go, what would I do in this situation? Like, I always joke with my brother, like, don't look for me in Apocalypse. Like, I'm not trying to move, you know, cave to cave, house to house. <laughs> like, don't look for me. It's going to be day two, and I'm like, I'm out. See ya. <laughs> like, don't want to live like this. Yeah. And so could you just lock the doors, yourself included, and be like, this is how I'm going to go out, and this is how I'm going to keep other people out to save others? It's tough, right? I think people are innately selfish in those acts, right? I would have to agree from right? the state of current things. You know, you want to you want to see your loved ones for one last time, even if it's putting other people at risk, because those people are, are so- secondary to you, mm-hmm. right? But when it's something at such a global scale, I think people do kind of unite under a okay, we need to do something for the better good. It's not really being reflected in our current times, I will say. But 99% of the population <laughs> didn't die, so maybe it's a little, a little different there. I don't, I don't know. But but in that situation, what do you do as the pilot? Right. right. I, I don't know. Like, that's an impossible question to answer until hopefully you're, you're a, never put in. Right, there. But right. it's, man. Yeah, but, it, was, it was a powerful moment. You know, of course, paying, um, you know giving respect and helping out Clark, who basically helped her finish the book. I mean, everyone is so connected with each other. I mean, she had that conversation with him that that yeah, you know kind of got to that moment. And so... Yeah, because she ended up talking to Arthur right after, or Arthur Clark, called her yeah. after Clark talked to Arthur. Mm-hmm. And then at one point she goes, oh yeah, after I talked to him, I finished the book two days later. Right. Basically like, fuck you, I'm finishing this thing. Right. And then when she sees him right before shit hits the fan... He, Arthur's character is kind of a weird one, right? He's a super charismatic guy. And yeah, we're getting long on the pod, but I, I just love this show okay. so much. <laughs> so it's fun. And at one point, I can't remember the exact language, but he goes, 
oh, you, what's he say? You accomplished something. When she's like, I finished the book, I made five copies. He's like, oh, wow, you, you really, how does it feel to like really accomplish something? Because right. he's this big known actor. He was in movies, but he's never created something mm-hmm. out of thin air. He's never made something so worthwhile that it doesn't need to be sold. He doesn't right. need to gain from it, you know, financially, or she doesn't need to gain from it financially. It's just she was telling her story that she started writing in a very difficult time when she went through a tragedy and lost her family. And she put it in kind of the context that she compartmentalized everything mm-hmm. and how she got through life. And that's why it resonates so much with, uh, you know, the post pans and the people in the pandemic or after the flu 20 years later, because it's the same baseline of the story but you're throwing a different tragedy in of this flu and how do you you know go through life knowing what the past held and how do you look forward to something in the future so i just so good so many great just uh notes and through lines throughout the entire show how they tied everybody together was very well done Phenomenal. I mean, I, we've said it all, and then some. We could spend a lot of time more on it. Oh man, I still have so many more notes I, I want to go over, but I'm going <laughs> to avoid for now. Let me say, you know, to kind of tie up this series, is there any? Do you wish the show did more of anything? Do you think it did last? Do you wish there was another season? I guess. What are your hopes for the future of the show? And so I listened to an interview with uh, the um, the runner there, uh, Summerall. Yep. And something, he did not completely poo-poo another, like, show. I don't think it would be a direct season because it was a limited series. But one question he kind of asked, which I'll pose to you here, is of the storylines that are outstanding in the current show, which would you most like to see more information on? Maybe, like, another miniseries on. You have the Tyler and Rose situation, how they met up and how Alex was born. You have... Miranda and the time from when she left Arthur and burned down the thing to where she is at the end. You have Kirsten between leaving Jeevan and finding um, Sarah. Leaving Jeevan. Leaving Jeevan, yep. And then you have, you know, Clark's meltdown after Arthur or what happens in the next five, ten years. Like, do any of those kind of pique your interest I think you already know my answer. Which one? <laughs> Kirsten. Yeah, like, Kirsten. I'm going to follow Kirsten to the ends of the earth. I want to I wanna see her find her friend who had the baby, and now she, she can say goodbye. I want, I want to see that year that's passed where Kirsten meets Jeevan's family. I want, you know, the Tyler of it all was, again, he's more sympathetic in the show, and you definitely, when he's performing as Hamlet and having... He gets to say the words with this this anger. I mean, at what point do you think he's going to stab Clark? We didn't even the, talk about no. the Hamlet play where there's an opportunity for, you know, Tyler to kill Clark, for Hamlet to, right. for everybody to end in murder. In the knife that killed Frank. I mean, just yeah. again, full circle like these things. And, and, you know, Kirsten's idea for Tyler to work out his bad family dynamic through <laughs> art, right? Because yep. art helps you get there. I mean, Kirsten relives some of her past through her acting. And so the Tyler of it all, I mean, was was Elizabeth's sympathetic character? Not so much. I didn't like Elizabeth no? much, no. And so do I want to see how they go with their children that are disillusioned and no. in the fields? No. Do Miranda, <laughs> I already told you, like the Miranda storyline of it all. I'm more curious on the book she wrote 
like we have all these I remember damage. You know, we have all these lines, but like I want to know more about the book. But I think it holds more power if they don't actually show you a page by page of the book, right? That mystery kind of holds more power and to the, the audience. And the spaceman who was annoying and Clark, yeah, Dr. Clark was never sympathetic mostly. There there were moments yeah. with his partner or moments with his his relationship with Arthur, which was complicated with resentment and, and love, you know, yeah. when he says on stage, you know, I loved, I loved, your, I loved yeah. him too. You know, I loved Arthur too. One thing, like I wanted an extra scene on Kirsten when she leaves the cabin. Cause at that point, Jeevan threw the comic book through station 11 mm-hmm. in the woods. He went back to retrieve it. He got mangled and then left. Right. But he found it and had his blood got smeared on it. Right. But then it got stuck there. So when she leaves the the cabin to go either look for him or to leave, thinking that he abandoned her, I want to see her, what she do. Did she go actively look for the comic and where she thought it would be? Did she find it with Jeevan's blood on it and immediately think he was killed or captured? I would would have liked like an extra scene or two there. But. I wonder if the snow like or something, you know, was it how how long did she wait before she cuz he crawled. I mean, he he was he out there a couple days. Crawled, yeah, so like That's why I was like I was watching and I was screaming screaming like why is Kirsten not checking on him? She's like a badass and he hasn't returned for 2 days. Like go freaking check on this dude. I wanted to know how long before she left when she found the comic. What were her th- her thoughts? How did she find it? Because did it get covered in snow? Like, because she has it later on. Yes. So, and there lies my true answer to your question. If I was asked, should this have a second season, and the first season stands as is, I would say no. Yeah, I. Agree. I think this is the arc of these characters. I got what I got of them. I'm happy with it, and that's it. Now, if they were to say, show me these episodes and go, well, we could film another ten episodes. What one do you want? I would say you could make five seasons <laughs> of this show. You could flesh out way more of Kirsten's arc. Like, I understand these abandonment issues where they started, but flesh that out more. Her time with Jeevan, like, this relationship we has with Alex, like, because she, she does so much for her. Yep. Like, Clark, like, there were so many stories that could have been stretched out so long and... You know, I would have wanted more. Like every episode I could go, that could be four episodes to stretch that out. So if it stands as is, good as is. But if I could redo, I would want five seasons of real character development growth. And Patrick Somerville, I think, nailed it on the interview I was listening to with him, where this was initially supposed to be a movie. And it like it wasn't good. It wasn't written well, his words. And he called, I don't know, called who had the rights. And he was like, hey. This needs to be a miniseries. Like, there, there's too many dynamics and characters and time jumping to really get that all in a movie. And thank goodness he made that call and it got picked up. Mm-hmm. And we, we got 10 episodes of, you know, 45 minutes to an hour each episode to really iron everything out. Could, could you imagine if this was compressed into a two-hour no, movie? I no, I already felt like these 10 episodes weren't enough as yep. is. It was just two hours. I'd be like... How are you know you wouldn't have the dynamics that you were able to get towards the end? So I will say it did make me put maybe the leftovers a little higher on my list Haven't because seen that. if this was so good, like I'm sure it shadows like the leftovers. So yeah, I'm gonna have to maybe add the leftovers to my massive yes. list of freaking yes. things I have to watch. We'll have to compare, contrast, and add. So 
I think that kind of ties up our Station Eleven. Anything else you want to add? No, I think. Uh, I mean, we could talk for hours and hours, we but can. I think we did a pretty good synopsis. Yes, there. I think so too. And I think now it's time for our Swarley of the Week. All right, so my Swarley of the Week is going to be a group effort. Um, <laughs> oh, I know where this is going. Yes, <laughs> last week we had an epic of epic D and D nights. That's Dungeons and Dragons, folks. And when I say luck was not on our side, I mean, it was non-existent. We were in this, you know, our, our character. Now, our characters, you, you spend a lot of time, I think, creating a backstory, naming them, their story, where they come from. You're, you're invested in this character. Now, at this point, we've almost played a year, almost. I think it's like February, March. I thought we played more than a year. No? No. Oh, I, this I, campaign, you mean? This campaign, oh, I yeah, mean. Yeah. yeah, yeah. This particular. So we've been playing close to a year. And our characters had thus survived. But when I tell you our lives were in mortal danger on Saturday. I wish I had a camera in the living room of the house when we were playing because it got intense. I was literally on my knees and on the floor at one point. <laughs> I mean, we essentially our characters had to kind of go into this like villain's lair, this like we're at war with this group of lizard people. Obviously, and obviously as, as, as one does. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we were trying to get intel and go back to the town and report back. And we just, you know, kept going room to room, ended up in this horrible battle with with these creatures. And when I tell you our rolls, because you roll dice to see how, how you're well you doing, do. yeah. you know, how much damage you get and if your attacks hit. When I tell you we rolled badly, it was just fail after fail. Everything we tried to work, the rolls were bad. We were getting hurt. I mean, Justin and I, both our characters... We're rolling for our lives, literally, as in if we got one more bad roll, we were dead. At and one you're point, rolling a 20-sided die, yes. and all of our rolls were between, like, one and five. Like, the odds of that happening, like, ten times in a row for both of us yes. is just stupid. So at one point, Justin and I thought we might, like, our characters that we spent almost a year with are just done. And we're yep. going to have to make new ones in, like, a week. I mean, brutal. We were doing shots of whiskey. We were doing we were shots. Pump- we were, like, I mean, we were laughing. We were near tears. I mean, it was just as bad as you could have. I mean, Kate, our brilliant DM, was... Um, really showing her evil side. Um, and I was loving it. Like, it was a lot of fun. As much of high stakes it was, as much as I would have had to be very sad about the things that my character wouldn't be able to do, I would have took it on the chin because it was so, it was such good storytelling. Our role playing was hilarious. Like it was, it was a night that just revamped me up for the game that we play. So as much as it was a lot of fails, very much swarlies. Yes. All of us. Yeah, that's so good, and you know that was obviously at the top of my list too. But I'll pick something else. Yes, what's your swarly? That was so fun. My swarly of the week this week is TikTok. Oh, the app. Yep. Uh, similar to you with your Instagram Reels yep. previously, I have succumbed and got a TikTok account. It is highly entertaining. I enjoy it. The algorithm kind of gives you stuff that you like to watch, which makes it just effortlessly swiping up. The problem is it sneaks up on you. You spend mm. way more time than you initially plan. And I have so many ideas for posts, <laughs> but then I get too overwhelmed to actually figure out how to make a post because I'm old now and can't figure out how to post on TikTok because there's a million options. What sound do you want? Do you want your voice to be over or under this? Do you want to clip oh, this? Do you want to go hot fast? Do you want to go slow? Do you want to add a background image? Do you want to have a green screen? 
I'm just like, I just wanted to freaking check the frick, the scale, you know, <laughs> damn filter thing and post a 10 second video. And I don't know how to do that. So I really enjoy it, but I am kind of dropping the ball on it. Yeah. Uh, my friend Jackie is obsessed as well. And she's always trying to get me to I'm gonna have to follow her on TikTok. Yeah. Then. She would love it. Um, Tries to get me on TikTok. I'm already on the Instagram Reels addiction, and so I'm afraid of what TikTok will do to me. Well, and so I want to, and I may have already created a wrong opinions only, oh. Um, oh. where we can post some stuff for our account. But as I said, I'm too overwhelmed to post, so we're going to have to have like a tutorial we with, with the younger can folks. Youth, can the youth listeners please educate us? I mean, TikTok is obviously huge. And yeah. uh, I mean, even I, a couple months ago, was leaving my place and my neighbor was filming with like the TikTok circle light, the ring oh, the light. the ring light, yeah. And I was like, oh, wow, this really is everywhere. He was like doing a little skit with his kids. And I was like, what is happening? Yeah, and I think it also kind of just gets you to be more comfortable doing stupid shit on camera, which is probably really good for our podcast, though. Because who doesn't want to watch us do stupid yes, shit on yeah, camera? Yeah. I, I know a lot of people that would, so yes. that's a good one, yes. Thanks, TikTok. <laughs> or, no, thank you. Um, are you ready for a friendship question of the week? Sure. Our friendship question of the week mm-hmm. this week is, what did you want to be when you grew up and Why? Do you want me to go first, or do you want to go first? Um, you go first. Okay, so I'll uh, kind of negate the I wanted to be a professional athlete. Everybody wanted to be a professional athlete. But for a good chunk, I really wanted to be a sports broadcaster. I wanted to be an ESPN anchor, basically. That, I want, that was the dream job, and they even had an ESPN show called Dream Job where people tried out for <laughs> it. And I was just like, this would be amazing. I would love to do that. I toured Newhouse School at Syracuse University. I was applying to their communications program. I was all about it. I took my SATs, did really good on math and science, and really poor on reading. (laughs) reading. I did well on writing, though. And then I was like, you know, there's a lot of reading involved with this. Mm -hmm. Um, It's also kind of tough to get into Newhouse, so let me put engineering school kind of towards the top of my list instead. And then I got into engineering, and then the rest is history. So I also don't know if I have the face for TV. But who knows? I think you'd do well on TV. I'd watch you. I'd listen to you. Oh, wait, I oh, already yeah, do. Oh, yeah, you already do on a weekly basis. So <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Kayla? Um, so I always wanted to be a teacher. I, you know, I've been seeing some, not TikToks, but Instagram reels of, like, making jokes of, like, gay kids and their love of teachers, like being best friends with teachers. And I'm like, yeah, I was always really close with my teachers and I, especially my English teachers. And so I kind of always want to be an English teacher. I was in future teachers of America. Yes. Well, I of course went to major in education and I took one semester of some education classes and realized the kind of bureaucracy that goes with it oh, and yeah, a ton of that. I realized like yeah I don't want a job where it's that rigid with the things that I have to do and so I got out of it real quick and kept the English dropped out the education and uh it wasn't meant to be but I still have many teaching elements I mean as a camp counselor for many many years teaching well, Spanish teach me how to do TikTok I also, not too long ago, was teaching SAT students and high schoolers. So 
education still is a part of my life, but I just not meant for the classroom. All right. Well, that's yeah. a solid, uh, solid answer. Kayla, I thought you were going to say the next great American novelist, but you know. Yeah. So, well, that's always, but <laughs> uh, profession wise, you know, thought teaching would be the way. Instead, I just, you know, teach my listeners. <laughs> Teach your listeners. I like it. <laughs> well, this was a, a really fun episode. I know we talked a lot, but as you can probably tell, we're pretty passionate about this show. Uh, make sure you check it out. I assume if you've listened this long into the pod, you've probably watched the show and you're not listening cold. But, um, you know, if you know any friends, make sure they uh, they watch the show and listen to the recap pod. Give us any feedback you want. Absolutely. Of course, it's on HBO Max. So check it out. A lot of great things on HBO. And I think that wraps it up for today. So as always, see you next week. Well, that's it this week for Wrong Opinions Only. Follow us on Instagram at Wrong Opinions Only and on Twitter at Wrong Opinions JK, where we'll be dropping some clues and hints towards next week's episode. Until then, JK out.